Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 34. In last week's message, we discussed four topics. First was Mark's summary of Jesus' ministry so far. Second was when Jesus officially appointed 12 disciples, symbolizing the true Israel, that is, those whose true faith and allegiance was to Jesus. Third was a controversial passage about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Finally, Jesus' mother and brothers came looking for him. Jesus pointed to his followers, saying, These are my mother, my sisters, and my brothers. This morning's passage deals with the nature of saving faith and the problem of those who fall away. For several years now, numerous people, including some pastors, have made news because they renounced their faith in Christ. I'm sure this has been disturbing to some Christians, but it's really nothing new. Jesus talked about it even back in his time. Let's begin by reading chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. Lord, parables are sometimes hard to understand. So give everyone discernment to know whether I'm interpreting accurately. But then sink the message of these parables deep into our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what does this parable mean? The disciples didn't understand it either. So in verses 13 and 14, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Okay, so the seed stands for the good news or word of God, and the farmer is anyone who shares it. Verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. The seed scattered along that hardened path is like when someone hears the message of the gospel. It basically goes in one ear and out the other. Now, someone might defend them, saying, well, in the parable, Satan took the seed away. It's not their fault Satan took the word away before it could take root. But that kind of misses the point. The point is that Satan takes away the word because, like the hard ground, 
the hearer's heart was so hardened in the first place that the seed could not take root. Their hearts are so hardened, they don't want to hear the message. And that being the case, Satan is only too happy to take away the word by diverting their attention to other things. Verses 16 and 17 say, Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes along because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is about people who seem to accept the gospel and are even joyful and excited about it. They may even become part of the church, but their faith, if you can call it that, doesn't last. When the hardships of life or persecution comes along, they gradually fall away and you never see them again. This is my concern about the health, wealth, and prosperity heresy. Some may make a profession of faith expecting to get all of God's material blessings, but when it becomes clear that being saved often involves hardship and even persecution, they're like, well, where are the showers of blessing I was supposed to get? And why doesn't God care that I'm suffering? Guess this Christianity stuff doesn't work after all. So their superficial faith withers up and dies and they go their own way. The roots never really sunk in and they were probably never truly saved to begin with. Then some seeds fall among the thorns, verse 18 and 19. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. This also refers to people who make a profession of faith, and they seem to follow Jesus for a while. But eventually, Jesus gets crowded out by the worries and business of life. After all, there's work, there's home and finances and school activities and volunteer works and numerous entertainments. Or Jesus gets choked out by the desire for more and more and more things. Such activities and things become gods to some people, and they just don't have time for the Lord. And whatever superficial faith and love for Christ that they might have once had gets choked out, and they fall away and become unfruitful. And in the Gospels, to be unfruitful is to be unsaved. Finally, in verse 20, others, like seeds sown on good soil, Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Genuine faith always produces a crop. It always produces fruit. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's fruit. In Romans, Paul called it obedience that comes from faith. That's fruit. James wrote, faith without works is dead. The results that faith produces is fruit. As I said last week, even the thief on the cross produced fruit when he went from mocking Jesus to defending Jesus. That was the fruit of his new faith. This fruit can include such things as the fruit of the Spirit, 
love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Fruit can include such things as encouraging and loving others, praying for others, worshiping, being humble, generous, honest, ethical, moral, merciful, compassionate, making peace and making disciples. Fruit is not something we do in order to get saved or to build up brownie points with God. Fruit is the natural outcome of our faith or loving devotion and commitment to Christ. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you cannot do anything. But in the same chapter, Jesus also says, if you do not remain in me, if you're like a branch, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's what this parable is all about. Now, if you notice that I skipped over verses 10 through 12, give yourself a gold star for paying extra good attention. Frankly, scholars struggle with these verses because it sounds like Jesus doesn't want some people to be forgiven. So let's read verses 10 to 12. When he was alone, the, uh, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So doesn't Jesus want people to be forgiven? Is that why he speaks in parables they don't understand? Now, before I can answer this question, I need to give some background. Verse 12 is a quotation that comes from Isaiah chapter 6, where God sends Isaiah to people who for hundreds of years had heard the word of God through the law of Moses and the prophets. They had every opportunity to repent, and yet they persistently refused and hardened their hearts against God. And God's patience had run out. So God was warning Isaiah that people would not listen to the message. Jesus spoke in parables because, generally speaking, the people he was speaking to were like the people in Isaiah's time. They had heard Jesus teach, and they saw his amazing miracles. They had every opportunity to repent, but most had remained hard-hearted. Parables, you see, are intended both to communicate truth and at the same time to obscure truth. Those who truly wanted to know the truth of Jesus' parables would ponder them and think about them. And like the disciples and the others who came to Jesus afterwards, they asked questions about them. For those like the disciples and the others who wanted to know more, more information could be given. To those who had no interest, it would go in one ear and out the other. Like in the parable of the seed that fell on the hard pathway that gets eaten by birds. So yes, Jesus does want people to be forgiven and saved, but using parables to obscure the truth from those who don't care may actually be a way of lessening the severity of their judgment because to whom much is given, much is required. In other words, the final judgment will be more severe 
for those who knew and understood Jesus' teachings and still rejected him. Jesus ends the parable saying, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Those who have ears to hear are those who listen carefully to what Jesus is saying, who are receptive to it and ponder it. They are the good soil who receives the seed and bear fruit. So parables can both communicate truth to those who have ears to hear, that is, to those who really want to know, but parables can obscure truth to those who are hard-hearted and reject the truth. They are like those who are ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. The next parable is about a lamp under a basket. Let's read verse 21. He said to them, do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? Now remember in those days, a lamp was often a little clay container with oil and a wick. It wasn't meant to be hidden. If someone had concealed the lamp under a bowl or something, you would bring it out and expose it to the light or expose the light. So Jesus says in verse 22, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. I think the New Living Translation interprets this correctly when it says, For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought out into the open, and every secret will be brought to, into, to light. Jesus seems to be talking about the final judgment, in which all the thoughts, intents, and motives of people's hearts will be brought to light and exposed. In Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That being the case, Jesus gives a warning in verses 24 and 25 when he says, Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Again, I think the New Living Translation interprets this accurately when it says, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. and You will receive even more. To those who listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. The idea is that those who truly want to know what Jesus' parables and teachings mean, those who think about it and study those teachings, more understanding will be given. Those who are not listening and not paying attention and really don't care, even what understanding they might have will fall away. In other words, those who are hardened to the word or those who fail to take it seriously or do not put it into practice will be like the seeds that fell along the path. The birds eat it up. Or the seeds that fall among the thorns and are choked out. Or the seeds that fall on rocky ground and are withered by the sun. Those who, for whatever reason, hardened themselves to the message will find that whatever spiritual benefit and insight they once had may be lost. This brings us to the parable of the growing seed. Let's read verses 26 to 29. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. 
A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. In this parable, the seed is the word of God or the message of the gospel. The man who scatters the seed may be God or it may be us working on God's behalf as evangelists. The seed takes root and changes hearts and lives. Eventually, when Jesus comes back, God reaps the harvest of those who have grown up in him and gathers us to be with himself. And I think he's talking about the rapture here. Jesus gives a similar parable in Matthew 13, where he talks about weeds and wheat growing up together in the same field. Jesus says, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. In both parables, the harvested wheat gathered into the barns stands for believers whom God will gather into his kingdom of heaven. And finally, there's the parable of the mustard seed. Let's read verses 30 to 34. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shades. The mustard seed is a very tiny seed that grows into a plant that is about 8 to 12 feet high. Jesus said it's the smallest of all seeds on earth, so critics accuse Jesus of making a mistake, since the mustard seed is not literally the smallest seed on earth. But Jesus was looking for an illustration of a very tiny seed that would grow into a very large plant, and the mustard seed was perfect for this illustration. But in describing the mustard seed as the smallest of all seeds, Jesus overstates his case to make a point. We call that hyperbole. Jesus regularly uses hyperbole for teaching, like when he tells people prone to lust to pluck out their eye. It doesn't literally mean doing to, to pluck your eye out. He's overstating his case to make a point. Hyperbole is not error. In the case of the mustard seed, Jesus is using an illustration to make a point, which is that the kingdom of God, like a mustard seed, starts out very small, beginning with Jesus and his disciples. And like the mustard seed, will grow to be very large. The kingdom of God today is not just dozens of disciples, as in Jesus' time, but millions of people worldwide. The tiny seed has grown large indeed. In verse 32, Jesus says that the birds can perch in its shade. The Old Testament prophets occasionally use the image of birds nesting in branches to allude to Gentiles benefiting from God's chosen people. The idea that is that in Abraham, in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. In other words, Jesus seems to be saying that the kingdom of God will grow large and provide shelter, shade, and other benefits even to unbelieving Gentiles. And that's been true. Christians have been at the forefront of eliminating thousands of years of slavery and establishing schools, colleges, hospitals, clinics, homeless shelters, women's shelters, pregnancy centers, 
childcare, youth centers, substance abuse care, food pantries, and ministries to the disabled. Like birds taking shelter in a tree, unbelievers have benefited enormously from Christians' acts of charity and compassion. Let me close with just two more lessons. First, in the parable of the lampstand, Jesus spoke of a coming judgment in which all hidden things will be exposed. I suspect that some Christians think that judgment is just for non-Christians and that being a Christian exempts us from all judgment. But in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, For we, and Paul even includes himself here, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each mud may be receive what is due for what has done what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All people, including Christians, will someday stand before God to answer our, for our actions, words, and attitudes in this life. I suspect the point will be to demonstrate to us beyond all doubt how very much we need a Savior, and also to give rewards as appropriate. Those of us who are in Christ by faith will be saved from any condemnation. But heaven help those who stand before his judgment seat thinking they are good enough without Christ. Second, the parable of the sower, where the seed is sown on the pathway or rocky ground or among thorns or on good ground, is the idea that only those who persevere or continue in the faith will and bear fruit are truly saved. Another way of saying this is that one evidence of genuine saving faith is continuing in the faith and continually bearing fruit. Those who once responded to an altar call at some point in their life or got baptized sometime in their life but now live like the devil and have no time for the Lord, they have no reason to think they are really saved. Theologians argue about whether they lost their salvation or whether they were never truly saved in the first place. But in the eternal scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. If they don't repent, they will not be saved. True faith involves repentance of sin and a spirit-produced heart of loving devotion and commitment to Christ as our commander and king. That faith or commitment will always produce fruit. Let's pray. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is really not committed to you in faith, maybe they're just going through the motions of Christianity. Maybe like the rich young ruler in the Gospels, they value other things more than they value you. If there's anyone like that here this morning, we pray that you would convict them of their sin and turn their hearts to you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.